This is a VOFM special broadcast. The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to VOFM 88.1. Share it. Welcome back. You are listening to The COVID Report. I am your host, Tiposinke Ngosa Zanamuli. And with me, as always, the lovely Gamedi Now, yesterday, President Phil Ramaphosa spoke to many changes in Level 3. But furthermore, spoke to our second topic of the show, the second pandemic of gender-based violence. And now here on the COVID report, we unpack what this means and what it is like in this country. And to do that, we are joined by advocate Brenda Matumise from the WISE Collective, who is engaged on government on the issues of gender-based violence. Thank you so much, advocate Matumise, for joining us. And firstly, what is your take on what the president said yesterday about gender-based violence? Thank you for for the invite and um, and just to say to you good work that is that you're doing with your team uh, highly appreciated uh, for for this platform. Uh, your question is around what President Sirlampoza said yesterday. The honest truth is that we have heard that before, right? Uh, nothing new, and and if now the president is saying to us that this is a shadow pandemic. We have moved from a crisis, which he declared a year ago. Now it's a pandemic. So we want to see something totally different from how they have been addressing it and and attending to it. So if it's a pandemic, let's address it in the same way that we are addressing COVID-19, right? Marshal all the resources, whether human or financial, that the nation focuses on this pandemic for a good 120 days and we get it locked in and we, we, ad- we address it and attack it and get the answers that we are looking for. So in the president calling this a pandemic, he to an extent maybe invited himself to more responsibility, but he escaped that to a large extent by saying that they have done initiatives such as specialized courtrooms, sensitivity training, and a plethora of other things. Do you think that this is enough? Should he change tactics or should more be done? No, we should, we should change tactics. I mean, he, if it was a crisis a year ago and now in, in June 2020, you say to the nation that it's a pandemic, the approach, the strategy has to be different from what you have been doing before. Because when it was a crisis and you put the measures that you put out and still you have the numbers going up and you still have the scale that we're living with on a daily basis, it means then that Whatever interventions you brought to bear the last time uh, when it was a crisis are not working. Lock this country down for 120 days and address the the, the GBV in the same manner that you are addressing COVID-19. But one issue that the president seemed to hop about yesterday was the use of alcohol as a contributor to the uptake in the violence you've seen in the country. What is your take on this? And do you believe that this is true? We can't keep on talking about increase or decrease of GBV, right? We have a pervasive GBV in this country. And remember that in this country, rape is one of those that is, is an unreported. And you cannot be comfortable as, as a country and as a president and, and, and load and, and say to us that during lockdown, they, um, they, the, 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 the levels of, of GBV went down. It's not true. The nature of the regulations that you put out 
where anti women and in fact forced women to hibernate and be locked up with their perpetrators and could not go out and report anything because of how the lockdown regulation was structured. It was all built around fear. Almost everyone was too scared to go out because the police were going to scope and donor you. And we had seen it. We have the calling cause and matter precisely of the approach taken by the police and the army. So can we stop use hiding behind lockdown regulations and start focusing on how we become effective as, as law enforcement agencies in dealing with um, cases of, of gender-based violence? So a lot to unpack in that answer. And firstly, you speak of law enforcement. Do you think the police are the route that we should continue to be looking for refuge during this, the second, the shadow pandemic? Or should we be offering different type of law enforcement or different avenues? We see in Black Lives Matter, they're talking about defunding the police and creating community-based solutions. How do you feel about that? I think we, that we have to come to a point as, as a nation, as a country, where we are honest enough to talk about how the police serve the nation, right? We have many stories of how they have done a disservice. And we also have stories of where they've been successful, right? It's a combination of things, right? The first responder at the police office is the most critical because when you and I go and report a crime, a sexual violence or an assault, the first police officer we encounter is the person who's going to determine whether my case will be attended to and attended to with, with gusto and determination, right? And most of the time, the first responders leave, I mean, they, they, they do not do the work because they, one, they want, to inter, they want to tell you as a victim of violence how you should go about dealing with your trauma and your, your violence, right? In most cases, domestic cases, domestic violence cases, they have actually inserted themselves and told many women that they should go back and try and sort it out with their partners, right? So we, we have to look at a number of things because it, it tells us that the training that the police have been offered, sensitization training, is not working. So we have to have a combination of that and community involvement. We're supposed to have CPFs in this country. That's Community Policing Forum, right? That are supposed to work hand in glove with, with the police. That model has become politicized, right? So it, 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 it gets infiltrated by local councillors and those who are active uh, in, in their political structures in the branch level that it loses even doing what it's supposed to be doing. So I think we, we, as South Africa, we need to look at our policing itself, right? What are the elements that are working and are working well? And what are the elements that are not working? And what, what do we substitute those that are not working? We substitute with what? So in the comments about yesterday's speech, there has been some engagement of how the choice of words has changed. The president seems to stop to address our South African women as our woman and address them as women. Do you feel like this is a sign of progress? Is this a good sign that he's acknowledging that women exist outside of them belonging to other people? Or is this just another PR stunt that the president is doing? I mean, for me, I'm hoping, right? That is not, it's not a PR stunt. But knowing politicians, they always um, play up to the gallery. They knew 
the president knew by yesterday that there has been a total uproar in social media around our women that we are, and we, we had raised our voices loud that we are not possessions. So he knew by the time he spoke to us yesterday, he knew that this was an issue for most South African women. So he was not going to make that mistake of referring to us as our women. So I'm saying, if indeed, he, he, and I'm hoping that those people who are his speechwriters uh, have had the conversation with him for him to understand why that is offensive to, to all of us, telling us that we are possessions and it's our women, that he will refrain from using that going forward, right? And that he's not playing to the gallery, that he is genuine and he's honest enough to know that this, our possession has got, it connotes possession and it's something that also exacerbates and contributes to our gender-based violence. Many things do contribute to gender-based violence. And some have argued that what we title it is incredibly important. So gender-based violence has been called a war. It has been called a pandemic. And it's also been called a genocide. Does what we label it actually matter? And what name is better suited for it? I am likely to incline to genocide because that's what it seems to be to me. So we can't say war because we, we are not fighting um, men. We are not we are not at war with anybody, so it's not war, right? Um, and 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 it it has to be genocide because it's four hundred years of this that has been happening to women for the last four hundred years. That you subjugate, you discriminate, you violate women at any given time and at any given point in their lives. That women had to fight to be recognized as human beings first. That, that's why we have this kind of violence meted out against women. That we had to fight for the right to vote everywhere in the world is a clear testimony to what we, have, we are dealing with and why gender-based violence uh, meted against women. So it is, it is genocide because on a daily basis, whether you, 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 you look in, uh, at Malawi, you look at Burundi, you look in Nigeria, you look in Zimbabwe, you look in South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho. On a daily basis, there's a woman who's being violated, not just emotionally, uh, physically, but emotionally and financially, right? So also we need to understand that when you talk of uh, domestic violence, it's not just the scars that you, you exhibit. It's when someone screams at you and shouts at you and pushes you against the wall. When someone decides not to buy food in the home because he thinks you are just a useless woman at home and deprives you of any uh, uh, of 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 um of food and everything else that's violence right it's violence when men keep on cheating on their spouses right and infid- and and promoting infidelity and thinking that that's that's how you demonstrate machismo and how you 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 you, you your manhood is 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 and your manhood prowess is 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 shown so those we have to deal with all of them at the same time and that for me is the genocide that happens on a daily basis on the bodies and the emotional well-being of women so the violence we see is more than what we actually think it is and we are actually facing a genocide so African yeah. Mr. you were in the front lines last September for the total shutdown after the brutal killing of Uyinene Rajarane. And once again, you were up in arms. There were demands sent to the president. There was a list of things that he should change. You were again in the front lines when rape lists were publicized on social media where victims yeah. named 
their rapists. Has there been any change or is this government once again making empty promises? Has there been a change from last September to where we are now? So the, cha- so the changes that are in place, we are not going to see the results now, right? So this, so after the UNENA um, murder, the president stood openly and told South Africa that he's putting 1.6 billion uh, to, to tackle GBV, right? And how this, this was done was that all the government departments had to come up with things that they're going to be doing that are quick enough to effect the changes that we are looking for, right? And it was reprioritization of the budgets in the respective government departments to address some of those, right? So please um, get hold of that emergency response action plan that was that was 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 handed over to the president now end of April and see the things that were done by the different government departments and we will see the effects of those changes later on in 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 the outer years right uh, because you we had, we you had to plant the seed that worked precisely because we had a steering committee that pushed and forced that these things must happen right so unless there's a, there, there is pressure brought to bear on government most of the time is that government moves from one crisis to another so if there if we, if there are no headline news of a woman being murdered or being raped be rest assured that not, you will not you government will move to something else right and so there's no consistency so we are the ones and all of us including yourself and everyone else listening we are the ones who must must insist on changes being effected so when a president stands up and says and say there's an action plan an emergency action plan in place we need to be asking whether all those things that have been laid out by the respective government departments, have they been implemented, right? We're the only ones who can hold this government accountable. We can't stop now. We must continue. We can't stop now and we must continue. And then, Auntie Brenda, my last question is then, why do you think South African men are so violent? Some people will say GBV and they'll scream it at the top of their lungs, but the understanding of the basic question of why it exists in our community is often not one that is discussed. So why do you think that men in South Africa are incredibly violent? We can find uh, reasons and excuses, uh, justify why men are violent. I, I, all that I'm asking for is stop being violent. That's the first thing that we need to agree on. Stop. The, it, I hope you have seen a number of uh, Facebook posts coming from different men who tell us why we are being killed, right? I mean, the man told us that we are being killed because we have decided to to lose our tradition. We cheat on men, right? So it justifies you being killed because you have cheated as a woman. You have left your traditional values because as a woman, you are not supposed to behave in a particular way. You're supposed to be subservient. You're supposed to be, you're not supposed to question a man you're supposed to behave like possession that you are because I own you. I control you. I've got power and dominion on you, right? So if I believe that I have power and control over you, I can do as I please with something that I own and I possess. And that's what they think. And that's why they believe that they have the right to take your life because 
you have decided to behave in a manner that is not um, um, appropriate in as far as he's concerned because what he knows as, uh, as a socialized male in, in this country was that he was told that he has the power over you. He is the head. He determines when you should speak, when you should visit whoever you should, how you should talk, what you should wear. He determines all of that, right? So immediately you step out of that. He thinks he's got the right to take your life or even slap you or even put a blue eye on your face because you, you have stepped out of what the norm is. The norm is a woman is supposed to be quiet, beautiful looking, and make sure that there is a warm plate of food every time I come back home. If I don't find that hot plate of food, I, I slap you across the face because what I know is that my mother used to do that for my father. You can be different. So we, they look at us as possessions. They took away from what they saw uh, before from, from their parents, how the, the, the relationship between their fathers and their mothers and what society tells them. Uh, how powerful they are, what control they have, the language that they use when they refer to women, right? All those uh, play a role in how they 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 view and 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 see women, and that's why they believe that you know they can they can beat you up, they can kill you because you have cheated on them. You've got no, you, you. It's unthinkable. They can cheat. They can have multiple partners, right? Does it give you the right to go and shoot him or, 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 or kill him? No, but they believe they can because no one else should own you. He's the only one who can own you. And that is advocate Brenda Matumisa speaking on the gender-based violence in this country and more particularly on why South African men seem to be exceptionally violent. Thank you so much, advocate, for joining us on the COVID report to unpack the gender-based violence aspect of President Cyril Ramaphosa's speech. Now, to further unpack this, we are joined by Zugiswa White, an activist who will help us see more of what the president was speaking about. Thank you so much, Zugiswa, for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to you and your co-host for having me. The most newsworthy portion of that address uh, from President Cyril Ramaphosa was dedicated to gender-based violence. He mentioned the names of the most recent victims of this continued scourge. I, I, I think as my first question, Zugiswa, do you think he did enough in that speech, in that portion of the speech that he gave? I might sound a little bit of a pessimist um, as, you know, an activist on the ground. Um, there's never really been a shortage of good speeches. Um, we even have relatively good policies, including, um, you know, a constitution which is, you know, held um, um, globally um, for the ways in which it is progressive. So whether we look at, you know, um, marginalized communities in, in, within uh, the gender conversation, whether it's LGBTQ um, persons or, or women, um, and of course children, we don't have a shortage of, of, of provisions, um, um, you know, at a procedural level, which are solid, um, um, which also have, you know, its role and are important. Um, what we find in South Africa um, is that there is a incredible a lack of social and political will when it comes to meeting the policy 
with um, um, just administration, and by that I mean implementation of, of, of you know, all these grand plans um, and, and all this great policy. So, of course, I'm happy that there has been a shift, um, um, you know, from the highest office in the land of how we think about, um, you know, gendered violence, of how we speak about gendered violence, and the ways in which he um, has, I suppose, endorsed the, the kind of decades and decades long work by activists um, and policymakers in the space. Um, we are, we have reached some type of way and we know that it's, it's as a result of, you know, ongoing, like I said, decades worth of organizing, which have culminated, you know, um, um, in the National Strategic Plan, you know, from the total shutdown movement um, and other work that has happened. So the speak definitely is better aligned with what we have been saying about gender-based violence for decades as activists um, and, um, and really not to sound um, like, you know, wet, is it a wet blanket? Is that the English expression? Um, I want to see that being married by a kind of action um, and, and will that has been absent um, um, in South African, you know, um, in the South African socioeconomic um, and political space. So him speaking about it and what he said about it, great. It's in line with, with generally how, where we are at um, as a country with our policy, with our plans. The implementation is, 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 is where we are waiting with bated breath. So President Cyril Ramaphosa did mention a few things that have happened since the GBV summit that occurred last year, including more sexual offence courts, um, more rape kits being stocked in hospitals and more friendly centres and sensitivity training for police officers. These are just some of the steps that have been taken. What do you think about these steps? Are they enough or is it the action you are looking for or should government be doing other things, more action and different things? Is this the correct action that we are looking for? How is the action resonating? You know, this is part of the demands which, you know, were tabled by, by gender activists. Um, and then these are good steps, right? But well, let me rather say, and what we want ultimately um, is a situation where the conditions which enable um, um, violence and harm to happen in our communities, right, uh, uh, um, need to fundamentally sort of be addressed. When the harm and violence has happened, what do we do, right? But equally, what we need to marry with that is how do we even get to the harm not happening in the first instance? Right, and I'll give you an example to say um, there's data that tells us that you know in countries, for example, where there's a higher conviction rate um, of, 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 of violent crimes, um, it does not necessarily translate into a reduction of the rate of violent crimes. So the argument that you know these things are a deterrent has been largely like undermined um, through case studies and through what we see. Um, Fundamentally, uh, that, that means that we need to then be getting to a point of what is, what are our institutions, right, in the political space um, doing um, to penetrate uh, uh, communities and, and sort of, I don't want to say sensitize because that, that's not really the word I'm looking for, but I think what I'm trying to say is that we need to be seeing far more commitment from departments like that of, of women and children, social development, to really begin to do the work at a community um, ground level to, to 
to undermine you know the social um, and behavioral um, so to, to, to enforce a kind of social and behavioral change which will allow our communities to be safer and what we are wanting is that there are grassroots movements and organizations that are doing that but there's a strong lack of institutional support at the level of government right at the level of even the NGOs and the INGOs that have a certain kind of financial muscle and power and influence. We need to be getting to a point where we are capacitating the activists that are in their communities, building a kind of community resilience, building a kind of campaigning and awareness making, building a kind of what happens when there's harm. Does the woman next door, Langtala corner, know um, what are their options when they are in a, 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 a situation of harm and abuse? Is there community resilience being built to ensure that communities are empowered to respond um, um, you know, in these ways? And so we need to get to a point where we are, our communities are empowered and um, moving to a place of relative safety as opposed to the obscurity and unsafety that, that we are seeing. And we also know, I must add, that poverty um, is one of the, uh, 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 the factors that, that contribute to generally making our communities such unsafe places, right? We also know um, the relationship between, you know, alcohol and drugs and how that is, is one of the factors like, you know, poverty, which really becomes interrelated to why we're seeing um, um, predominantly poor and black communities um, living in a state of constant terror and, and, and violence. I'll park it there as we unpack the conversation further. When it comes to tackling this question of why men are violent, where do you think men need to start the work of interrogating and unpacking this question before they adequately answer it? So um, thanks for that question. It, it goes back to what I'm speaking about around social and behavioral changes, right? Around... Um, getting us to a point where we are seeing less harm and violence happen, rather than only speaking to what do we do when violence and harm does happen. So, um, you know, uh, uh, specific courts to deal with, you know, gendered violence are important, you know, policy work in terms of sentences are important, um, but where we will see, um, you know, the maximum potential for, you know, um, a kind of shift is when that is married by um, um, serious and intensified efforts to address um, the behavioral and social um, changes that need to happen to get us to that place. So patriarchy um, is, you know, we, we live in, 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 in a society where, you know, patriarchy is a power structure which, you know, um, um, uh, exists to sort of dominate um, um, the lives of, of, of women and children, right? We cannot move away from that. Um, all men are beneficiaries of, you know, um, a patriarchal society. So it is up to the men, as you're quite saying, to get us there. And I am of the view, um, so when, when, let me go back a bit. So when you mentioned that, you know, things like our women versus women um, speaks to one of, you know, the behavioral um, change I'm speaking about because women and children um, historically and contemporarily have never belonged um, to themselves. I mean, in apartheid, we also know that um, black women in particular were uh, uh, um, essentially legal minors. 
so you have the legal framework and the legal framework might change um, whether it's in policy or in law but the idea that women and children uh, are a entity which must be governed right by a head of a household by a you know um, a man we even seen issues of, of, of you know inheritance um, where women uh, can't uh, um, inherit the firstborn daughter cannot inherit because they are simply a woman or you know when organize, organize with uh, rural women as well and you'd be surprised um, that the practices that are still happening where if your your husband is dead you have to show up at the traditional court with your son your eldest son or your uncle to get um, even questions around burial rights um, um, given to you so I'm trying to make the point that we need to do the work of, and by we I mean stakeholders in, 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 in the gender justice space, um, and especially, you know, ordinary men. What are the conversations um, that men are having with each other? What are the ways in which um, men are, are, are doing the work to stop being enablers? So in a urban context um, game, and we've seen on social media the conversations that are happening there around um, holding not just perpetrators accountable for violence, but you know, extending some form of degree of accountability to the ways in which in our social circles, in our economic circles, by that I mean social networks, we um, it's it's not an it's not unsafe, it's not uncool to be a person who is a violator of of, of women, of queers, of children, right? Um, and so the work is for me that we don't, we've done enough of the work as women and as activists in the space to lay a foundation, to give a guideline um, of how things should move. Um, men need to come to the party and men need to do a lot more listening. Um, men need to do a lot more talking to, each, to other men. Men need to do a lot more collective raising of, of children. Um, and, may, and men in, 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 in positions of power, right? The men who, 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 write our, who, who write our laws, the men who, you know, preside over um, um, our cases in court, the men who receive us at police stations. That uh, 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 is where a big chunk of the fight um, um, happens. And so outside of marches or speaking at us, really back to the point I'm trying to hammer into the listeners, social and behavioral changes are where we need to really intensify if we want to see in, 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 in a long-term um, um, time period uh, uh, changes. So I'll close to say that the work of, of this work, by the way, is not going to happen over hashtags and trends. This is, I'm talking about real long-term, um, um, a, a real long-term approach which is going to put us in a far better position, let's say 10 years from now, than what we are currently seeing of men hopping onto trends of leadership, um, um, especially male political leadership, um, hopping on, 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 on trends. Because what happens in social media, game, I always say that social media is, is probably like 7% of a 5%. You know, ordinary South Africans in our mess are not on social media, do not follow trends right majority of, of, of our people if you even look at statistics rely on um, community radio stations like this one uh, to get their information um, um, and view um, community media as sites of authority so this is what we need to be leveraging on 
um, to, 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 to facilitate a, a information, a access to information gap and the kind of, um, the kind of reach that we want to have um, as, 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 as a society. So men need to open their pockets, open their ears, open their most importantly social and political will to do the work in their communities, in their social networks, and wherever else they might have influence to have these conversations, which will result in, in the kind of social and behavioral changes we want to be seeing. So club culture is one of them. You know, what are we saying when, when a marriage is happening or decisions in the household are supposed to happen and women are alienated? All those things matter a great deal. And that was Zukiswa White unpacking gender-based violence in this country. Before that, we were joined by advocate Brenda Matamise speaking of where we have come as a country on gender-based violence and again, what can be expected. That is absolutely correct, Siposikli. You can also follow the conversation and the show itself on, uh, on Twitter using the hashtag #TheCovid. But you can find us on Twitter at VOWFM. Thank you so much for your continued support. Thank you so much for downloading all of the podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition and every other edition of The COVID Report. From myself, Kameli Shogwapovana, and my amazing tag team partner in crime, from us to you, it is a hearty goodbye for now. Until next time.